0: Today is a unique uh, day in Jewish history and the Jewish calendar, and this isn't what I'm talking about, but I wouldn't want to let it go by without you noting that this is the 17th of the month of Tammuz. What is unique about that? Well, this is one of the fast days that is mentioned in Zechariah when he defines the four fast days, and this is one of them. This is the one from the fourth month, the 17th of Tammuz. It has to do with, it begins the counting period of the three weeks between 17 Tammuz and the 9th of Av. And the 9th of Av is the day, of course, when both temples were destroyed. The Jews were expelled from Spain. There's all kinds of horrendously terrible things that occurred on the 9th of Av. If I'm not mistaken, Kristallnacht was on the 9th of Av, but some terrible Nazi thing happened every day during the Holocaust, but that was particularly bad. So why is the 17th of Tammuz counted as, uh, what, what is the significance? This is the day that Rome breached the walls of Jerusalem on their way three weeks later to the destruction, the total destruction of the Beit Hamidash, the second temple. The ninth of Tammuz is more likely the time when the first temple's walls were breached by the Babylonians, so that when Zechariah is talking about the fast of the fourth month, he probably would have been celebrating on the ninth of Tammuz, but nevertheless... We're not fasting at all today on this fast day that is the 17th of Tammuz. Why is that? It's Shabbat. Shabbat. Nothing except, well, Yom Kippur supersedes the joy of Shabbat. That's how important it is in God's eyes that you remember this day. That's why it's number four. It's a big deal, the Shabbat. But tomorrow begins a Sunrise to sunset fast If you are recalling the 17th of Tammuz But I wanted you to know that It is also the day Speaking of our subject matter The 17th of Tammuz is the day that Moses came down and broke the tablets Which is an interesting thing Forty days he went to seek forgiveness Forty more days he came down with a new set of tablets after God's forgiveness from the 17th of Tammuz to when? How many days later, when did he come down with the new tablets? Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. So we're in a unique period of time right now. But let's talk about Moses. Now, I hope you won't be mad at me, because this week's Torah portion is, a, is a, just a tremendous Torah portion. We're meeting talking donkeys Balaam, the the false prophet that God chose to use anyway, we're having at the end, hate to say it, but Pinchas is making shish kebabs, human shish kebabs at the end of the Torah portion. It's a very, very exciting portion, which I am not going to talk about. Uh, And I'll try, how about this, I'll try to devote special attention to it next year as if I'm going to remember that I just said that. But last week when I was out, something very, very, very important was happening during Parsha Chukat, which is part of our series. Uh, Our beloved Moses was striking the rock twice. And... It was the culmination, really, of Moses' trouble, and, and this will be part four of that in the final part, because it is a conclusion of sorts for Aaron and Moses at the Me-Merivah, at the, at the waters of Meribah. And it is also chock full of lessons that I couldn't stand to let pass us by, because Uh, You know, they help us understand the Bible better. They help us understand the Torah, God, so many important things. And they help you to understand how you can live your life better if you will listen to them. To have a life that positively affects others and brings you contentment and joy and bliss. Would you like to have those things? They're worth having. Trust me. When I find them, I'll let you know. But this is, I'm kidding. This is a, a very familiar beginning in Numbers 20, verse 1. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled against Moses and Aaron. Then the people argued with Moses and spoke, saying. Now, before I tell you what they spoke, saying, how many of you by now would simply go, Ah! Save me! God! Take these people away! Kill them! I I can't do it! I would have done that about three weeks ago. But Moses stands there and listens to what they have to say. If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Listen to that. If only we had been sucked into the ground when Korach and all them them dudes died. If only... Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our livestock to die here? Why did you make us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? They're, they're like on the brink here of going into the, promise, the place where God has promised. It's not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff. I bet Moses wished he had like a full staff of people to come in and help him. Not that staff. Take the staff, you and your brother Aaron. Assemble the congregation. Speak to the rock before their eyes that it shall yield its water. So you shall bring water for them out of the rock and have the congregation and their livestock drink. Simple thing. They complained. Moses went before the Lord. The Lord gave instructions. Take the staff. Stop. What staff? Commentators, of course, discuss and disagree sometimes. Is this Moses' staff? Moses had a powerful staff. Remember what he did with it? He brought water from a rock, right? He also split water over the Red Sea. Hold out your staff and the waters will part, he said. It's logical that this would be Moses' staff. An art scroll commentary at least one opinion says yep this was Moses staff i disagree Aaron had a staff too right remember what it did just 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 a couple of weeks ago we met Aaron's staff in Parsha Korah. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, "Speak to the sons of Israel and entame for them a staff for each father's household, 12 staffs from all their leaders for their fathers' households. You shall write each man's name on his staff and write Aaron's name on the staff of Levi, for there is to be one staff for the head of each of their fathers' household." Aaron had a staff and it flowered and it Blossomed and brought forth almonds. It was a miraculous staff, and it was to be kept forever in the presence of God. But do you remember what made it especially powerful? It was miraculous and had those things, but here's the description. Yes, it demonstrated Aaron's authority to the priesthood, but the Lord said to Moses, put the staff of Aaron back in front of the testimony to be kept as a sign against the rebels. So that you may put an end to their grumblings against me and they do not die. Moses did so, just as the Lord commanded him, so he did. Now, note two things. The, 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 the uh, staff is placed in front of the testimony, that is the Holy of Holies before the ark, in front of God, too. What is its purpose? A sign. It's to be used against these people that are complaining against him right now, the rebels. That's one of the biggest things for it. Now, what was happening again? Their grumblings, big surprise. Rebels were complaining against them, but, 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 but who were they really complaining against? God. Moses was just the representative. They didn't like what God was doing and wanted Moses to fix it. Which, it, which then explains this curious instruction for him to take the staff and speak to the rock. If he was going to speak to the rock, why did he need a staff? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, don't worry if you haven't. It's not like it's a seemingly small detail, but it's actually pretty big. Let's consider it. The staff, sign, promise from God, remind the people these people, Moses and Aaron, are your chosen leaders. Listen to them, respect them, follow them. Remember what happened to Korach in that whole incident. Remember this budding staff. I have chosen them, I have anointed them. What a staff, right? Seeing a stick of wood could could help you do that, could give them the reminder that they needed. And so, to confirm... That this is that staff and not Moses' staff. Listen to how Moses describes this. Moses took the staff from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. Where did we say that the staff was placed? Before the Lord. This is Aaron's staff. And it was in front of the testimony. And then listen to how Moses begins his address. Once he has the staff in hand... And it is to be kept as a sign against the rebels, Moses says to them, Listen now, you rebels! Should we bring water out of this rock? Can you feel that? Can you feel the energy in Moses' voice? That's not Moses' voice, that's my voice. But when someone says, You rebels, is that a positive, uplifting way to identify a group of people? You rebels! Moses is holding the staff, and he says, you rebels. And once again, what we can feel in that, if you allow yourself, is Moses' anger. You can feel Moses' anger rising. You people are at it again, huh? And now, this is, as always with Moses, justified anger. But interestingly, he's holding the staff that God had used to peacefully establish their leadership, to designate Aaron and Moses through the beautiful budding and flowering of the staff. He's holding it as the sign and calling the people out. There's a little bit of a contradiction there. This visual sign that was supposed to to keep them from, from dying the staff that he was to carry as this reminder. And what was he to do to the rock? Speak to the rock. Hold the staff, speak to the rock. And we all know what happens next. Did he speak to the rock? Moses doesn't speak. He strikes. Twice. Or as... Ah... I can't remember who said it, but some lady I used to know said twast. <laughs> he struck the rock twice. Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice with his staff, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their livestock drank. Well, in justifies the means, right? Mission accomplished. No. It was exactly the opposite of that. Everyone got their water and they shut up and their cows drank, but that was the not happy ending for Moses and Aaron or the people, as we'll see. That is the end of the story for Moses and Aaron and their journey into the land. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, since you did not trust in me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, for that reason you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. And that section of scripture right there before this series, before really taking the time to look into this, look at the commentary through the ages, modern commentaries, before that, this was one of the most troubling bits of Torah that we have. After all that they've done, all of the grief, all of the complaining, all of the sacrifice, how is getting water by striking this rock enough to justify that? How is that not trusting or how is that tarnishing God's holiness in front of the people? That's what he said. How is it fair You didn't trust me, God says. How is this an issue of trust? The staff was a sign, but more than that, it was a promise of God. He spoke into this staff. It was a promise of God to be kept as a sign against the rebels. The God-given purpose of the staff was to protect Moses and Aaron and the people and to demonstrate God's perfect plan and promise and ability. But Moses misused it. Not only did you disobey, God is saying, Not only did you lose your temper and again demonstrate anger in the striking, not only that, Moses, you made me a liar. You forfeit the miracle, the staff as a sign, your voice as the tool. Had you trusted and done as I said, The staff would have established you once again. The rebels would have been calmed, maybe forever. Maybe that would have been the moment where they never complained again. And most of all, I would have been glorified through it, God says. I would have been given the opportunity to prove faithful to you and to them, but you did not trust me. Now, remember the lessons of Moses' trouble that we talked about in the Korach message. I'm sure you do, but let God fight the battle. Sometimes you just have to let God fight the battle. You just got to contain yourself. But that message obviously did not get through, even though we thought it did at the end of Korach. And this is interesting to note. There is no death to the people due to this particular bit of grumbling that they do. But just a few chapters later, they're at it again. And this time God unleashes snakes into the congregation and it says a great number of Israel died. We can't know for sure, but that staff was to prevent them from grumbling had it been used in its proper context that day, maybe that great number of people would not have died just a few chapters later. Unfortunately, Moses missed the mark with the staff. You see, isn't that interesting, though, as I just ponder that, how, how leaders still today are given some type of, of God-given authority or or, or, or Opportunity And they misuse it according to their own purpose And people get hurt It still happens not that, God, not, that, not that Moses is some corrupt You know, televangelist But the thing is God was going to do all this work They just needed to trust and let him do it Let God fight the battle And here's the thing Let me give you Let me give you If you get nothing else Nothing else out of what I'm saying today When God speaks to you audibly and tells you what to do, what to do it with, and how to do it, do that. Don't change the plan. He gave Moses precise instructions. Take the staff and speak. The staff was a God-given disengagement strategy. Moses, take the staff. Don't hit things with it. But he did. Twice. Moses raised his hand and struck the rocks twice with his staff. Now I want to show you something interesting about the the significance of twice. Why twice? Why is that detail even included? What difference does it make? How many times? Of course, there are a lot of opinions from the sages and commentators through the years about the twice, but I want to share my personal opinion I think that detail is there because it represents something very, very significant for Moses and for us. What is the significance of twice? I believe it represents Hashem's love and mercy. To Moses, his faith and hope for Moses, his fighting for Moses to enter the land. And here's how. One strike. God's watching this. He's seeing it unfold. Moses, I know you're angry. This is a tough job. I really, I really get it. I really get it. I believe in you, though. You dropped the ball on that first hit, Moshe. But relax. Think. Disengage. Get a hold of yourself. You can still change the course of this. Moses raises the staff again. God says, no, Moses, stop, think, don't do it, Moses, trust me. And that was the final failure for our guy, Moses. It's significant because, well, and there's another, there's another take on twice, related but different. Aaron, what did Aaron do? Why did Aaron not get to go in? He didn't hit anything. It's not what Aaron did, it's what Aaron didn't do. When the Torah says, speak to the rock, it's in plural. It's to Moses and Aaron, speak to the rock. Aaron was a participant. But he did not, as far as we know, use his voice. You imagine this scene. Moses strikes the rock. Aaron is by his side. Now notice, Aaron is the peacemaker in all of Jewish tradition. He is the great man of peace. You can imagine, though, that at this particular moment when Moses has said, you rebels, you want me to bring water out? Bam! And hits it. You can imagine that Aaron, a man of peace, is feeling the energy and tension in the air. When Moses took it up again, had he at least the first time said, no, Moses, don't do that. But again, the second time, knowing that Moses was about to strike it again, he should have, no, Moses, stop, don't do that. No, he should have stopped. But he didn't. And so Moses and Aaron have a failure at Maimerevah. Maybe Aaron missed his shot, but it provides some perspective. What do we do with it? Well, this is our lesson. That twice is important for us, because if you remember my point last time I spoke about conflict and argument, I said, try to, try to, when, when, you, when you feel it, when you're in this argument. We talked about the sake of heaven, but, you know, or, or is this an argument for the sake of heaven or the sake of power and dominance and, and try to be in charge of that? Well, this is to, this is to speak to that on a, on a little bit of a more realistic level, because sometimes we don't stop it before it starts, do we? Sometimes we find ourselves in the heat of it. By our own doing, but nevertheless, we are engaged in the conflict. We have, so to speak, struck once. We hit the metaphorical rock of conflict. That's that first rock strike. Even knowing that we shouldn't, what a child of God should do, how he wants us to handle struggles, he's told us, but we psh, we strike, we, 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 we lash out. And of course, I'm not talking about physical striking. I'm talking about harsh, hurtful words being sucked in to to striking back. Because we're not perfect people. And in the midst of conflict, we get drawn in. We are rebels in our own lives. And I remember laughing after the last message with Dr. Brionis, psychologist. We had this good laugh about the difficulty of entering into a conflict and saying, hmm, let me back up. Let me breathe deeply. Think about why this person is saying these hurtful words to me. Process it. See them in all their beauty. That's not usually how conflict works. Usually you're challenged and boom, you're going to strike back. That's your first strike. That's your first strike. And what we learn from right here and the two strikes and maybe God's mercy. Just because you do it once doesn't mean you can't get back. It doesn't mean because you fall once or say a word or hurt or do something that you have to hit it again. You're still in control of holding the staff and letting God do the work. Most of my life, I have been terrible at that. Life is so much better when you don't throw the first rock hit but that's inevitable sometimes don't throw the second one don't forfeit don't forfeit the greatness of your relationships and being above reproach and standing in the good side of your mate to your boss or your children my goodness your children That's the, you see, we talked about a disengagement strategy. Use a disengagement strategy every time. But sometimes all you have to rely on is your de-escalation strategy, which is your don't hit it again strategy. And you need to get very good at that. stop. Even if a mistake has been made, you realize it, you humble yourself, yeah, and then you can think, and then you can breathe and back up and drop the staff and walk away if you have to. Rabbi Sachs has a, has a commentary with a disengagement strategy that I love when he's talking about the fact that Judaism Judaism can handle arguments, but it's arguments done in love. And he says this, be open to the outcome. You may be right, Moses was right every single time. Be open to the outcome. You may be right, but you must be prepared to be proved wrong. See disagreement not just as conflict, but listen to this, as collaborative activity in pursuit of honor and truth. How many of you think that, that when you have a fight with your spouse? <laughs> Only my dad, which is <laughs> certainly true. Listen to this. Accept it as a legitimate, even holy part of life. Holy? Fighting? Conflict? Holy? How how is this supposed to be? Well, listen. Through Moses' action at the rock, Moses had the potential to declare, to display God's holiness in conflict and His own. And he missed the chance. We have to think about what good can come. And then he finishes it by saying this. Keep talking. You know, in conflict, sometimes it really is the best thing to just remove yourself from the situation. If it's if it's escalating without being able to be de-escalated. it sometimes is best. But this this garbage of silent treatment and things like that. No, keep talking. You keep talking. You 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 disengage, de-escalate, but you don't you, you you work it out, you see it through. But there's this last bit. And and by the way, think of it in this think of it in this term when I say keep talking. That's the speak to the rock. That's that's the speaking, that's the part where great things can happen when you can have civilized conversation. But there's the last part. This is is it. We've talked a lot about Moses as a real person over the last four weeks, a human. He's vulnerable to hurt, to anger, outburst, failure of leadership that that culminated in this tragedy. And if you asked him, and I certainly hope to one day, I bet he would say, yeah, gosh, I, I, I wish I had done it a little different who who wouldn't say that but some comfort in knowing that Moses would probably say that too I I wish I would have whatever but there's a common element common element that caused Moses failures do you know what it is it's very obvious the common element that caused Moses troubles the people the people. It started with the metoninim, the grumblers about quail, remember? Then, then the spies and the, the false report, and then it was Korach and Datan and Aviram and the 250. And this week, once again, it's, why'd you bring us here? There's no grain or figs. Let's be honest, not one of us would have survived that. It wasn't all his fault. These people, even starting from a genuine place, were intolerable and ultimately got the better of Moses. So what do we take from that? Well, again, we've talked a lot about conflict, and here's this last lesson. Actually, it was part of the first lesson that I gave in this series. Be self-aware. Be self-aware. That means look at the damage that you can do to people when you are self-consumed at all times, which is what they were, self-consumed and constantly grumbling. Don't, don't be a grumbler. Don't be a miserable complainer who only sees bad, and I'm talking to myself, who misses every blessing. You you drag people with that. You drag them. Or worse, worse, don't be someone who thrives on conflict, who who is always in the middle of something. Somebody's always done something to them, and... uh, and it's almost, like they, it's almost like they need conflict to get out of bed. What thing can I get into right away to get into, like, let's argue for fun and attention. Never, ever be the person who needs conflict in their life, for goodness sakes. These people almost give the impression of wandering around. What can we complain about next? Moses? That cactus right there, too big, too big. Why did you bring us to a wilderness where the cactuses are too big, cacti? I mean, it's like, they're, it's like looking for things to, to weigh people down with. Don't be that person. But worst of all, never, ever, ever be someone who sows strife. Never be the person who grumbles just enough in the ears of just a few people to get the temperature in the room raised. That does immeasurable amounts of damage, particularly in a community or a family. Never, ever be the person who sows strife like these grumblers who speaks ill of other people, who arouses the rabble, as Torah says. Because you know what? Moses' story could have ended differently had the people been different. But it wasn't supposed to. I'm not suggesting that. That. I mean, this is how the story goes. This is how the story ends. How else would we, would we learn the lessons of leadership and, and looking at Moses? And I love Moses more than I've ever loved Moses. Love him more than I've ever loved him. I honor him. I respect him. I, I, I love the fact that he so much has earned the term Moshe Rabenu. not just because he taught Torah and brought Torah and did all that, but because he lived a life that we can learn from. It could have gone differently for him. But I'm going to close with these words. Paul's finest words, in my opinion, as a conclusion to our Moses trouble message. These are about life. These are about living the best life, the best one you can for yourself and for others. Listen to these carefully. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Don't be wise in your own estimation. Never repay evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all people. And if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. It's hard. You do your part, taking care of how you respond. Don't be a rebel. Don't be a rebel to others. Don't sow strife in your own life. Be at peace as much. I love love how he gives us a real human qualifier, if possible. That means sometimes it's not possible. He says, so far as it depends on you, that means you have some control, but not all control. Be at peace with all people. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So, my friends, may God inspire us through Moses' troubles that we might have fewer troubles of our own. Shabbat Shalom.